Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hatchisad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, carbon-based life forms. Greetings to everyone. If this is the first time you're listening to this podcast, thank you for trying something new. Uh, ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists. In fact, I'm going to ask Ben to plug a couple of the publications that he's re- recently written for. Go for you, it, Ben. You can find my work at Auto Trader, at Haggerty, at Motor Trend, and at Inside Hook. And you can find my work at autotrader.ca as well as Nouveau Magazine. This week, Ben, we're going to be talking about some performance cars, which seems like a rarity these days, right? Well, I, I think one of them is definitely a performance car, and I think that's the one that you drove, Sammy. You want to tell us about that? Sure. I drove the Mercedes-AMG GT-R. That's, R. The full, that's the full name of it, um, which is a very um, – it's a high-performance coupe. Its uh, main competitors are the uh, 911, the Audi R8, I think, and probably the Corvette, I would say. What are, its, what, are its main, what are its primary predators? Uh, what hunts this thing down? I've got to admit, it would probably be some sort of hypercar or something. So there's there's a GT, there's a GTC, and there's yep. a GTR, right? Yes, and then there's also the uh, GTR Pro. Whoa. And then this past week, I think, Mercedes announced a GT Black um, series, is called. And uh, that seems uh, even more extre- extreme, which is uh, something I-, I learned about just recently, with, with, which takes everything that this GTR is and uh, turns it up not to 11, not to 12, but probably an unlucky number 13. So the way I understand it is the GTC has the power of the GTR, but in a more track or sorry, a more street friendly package, whereas the GTR is kind of the track special version of the AMG GT. Yeah, I think that's the best way to look at it. And I think you've driven the GTs on the track. Did you drive a GTR on the track? Yes. Uh, at yeah. the time I drove it, it was 2017, actually almost exactly three years ago. And the car I drove, you might have called it a, a maybe a pre-production model. I'm not sure. It was very close to production. I drove the C and the, and the, regular, the regular models as well. And I've driven the GTR on track as well, but I was always curious about how this car would feel um, during the everyday daily commute uh, and what it's like to live with. Because you know what? On a track, you don't have to worry about what it's like to park, whether or not people find it that attractive or not, uh, what its fuel consumption is like. No, you just have to worry about so many walls so close to you approaching at such a high rate of speed. Well, I mean, if you want to go fast, yes. So I'll say that... um, the AMG GTR is still a very dramatic-looking vehicle. It does capture a lot of attention, um, particularly from fans of uh, AMG and German um, sedans. Uh, so you're or saying German that people France. who like AMGs will like this AMG? Yeah, I was surprised that I think not everyone thinks it's as cool as it is. But I do know that the people who did uh, want to talk to me about it said that they either lo- love AMGs or they've wanted an AMG or they've had several AMGs and they've they wanted to discuss that with me. And how many of those people who talked to you might have just been looking for a friend? Uh, I don't know. Maybe all of them, I guess. <laughs> you know, I agree with you. I think the AMG GT is fantastic looking. I, I think it's maybe my favorite Mercedes of the last of the last decade. Can I say that? That's uh yeah that's fair. I think that's the fair. appearance. I think the the wagons look good too. The, the the wagons have gotten consistently better looking since the early 2000s, but the AMG GT it really is something else. And you know, those cars that you mentioned as its competitors, the the 911 and the R8. I think the R8 has a similar exotic type of look, but I think that we've discussed in the past we don't really need to go into it too deep now, but just how 
the 911 doesn't really stand out anymore in terms mm-hmm. of its styling. It, it's become less of an aggressive looking car. And I think the AMG GT is kind of a huge slap in the face of the 911 from that perspective. Absolutely. I think there's, it's polar opposites of these two cars. And that's cool because, as we mentioned, the, the R8 has an exotic look, while the 911 has a really muted look. And I think the, uh, the uh, AMG GT just looks outrageous. And it also sounds outrageous. This might be one of the best sounding cars uh, on the road today. It it's, is it's, so good. It's really hard to replace that V8 snarl. And the AMG GT has it in abundance. This is, in many ways, I'm going to say it again, it's the anti-911. It's a car that yeah. it gives you the performance envelope of a 911, but it puts you on the edge a little bit more. It's not as easy to drive, I guess. I mean, the 911 has its whole, you know, the rear engine thing does inform the driving experience on a racetrack. Mm-hmm. But... The the AMG GT just feels like a more raw car, which is fascinating because it doesn't come with a manual transmission. Right. If you want to talk about the raw aspect of this vehicle, this is where I start to lose a little bit of my my love for the GTR. I do think that the regular AMG GT and probably the GTC are better better fits for people, for people who are going to be daily driving daily driving this kind of vehicle. The GTR is for somebody who will definitely take it on the track, and I'm not sure that really fits um, the the mindset of uh, especially for a car that costs $162,000 um, for it to be as uncomfortable as it, as it could be or as is, sorry, as uncomfortable as it is. Um, and it's very fast, unnecessarily fast. For unnecessarily story. fast. That is a, that is a great descriptor for a high end sports. Car. <laughs> it is, it is excessive. Honestly, it does zero to 60 in three and a half seconds. You sound so surprised. For a rear wheel, for a rear wheel drive, uh, coupe, that is Plenty fast. Um, and I'll admit that, you know, for it having 577 horsepower, the 911 felt pretty quick at, uh, at what, 450 or so? So, I mean, you're talking about a pretty large dis- uh, difference in terms of um, output. What's, what's the horsepower again? 577. Okay, so you're saying, this is Sammy, Mr. Lamborghini, Ferrari, Hadjassad. He's <laughs> like, whoa, this AMG GTR <laughs> is a little excessive. Dial it back, Mercedes. <laughs> That, that's yeah. shocking to me. I mean, you're the that's guy. True. You were on a racetrack in a, in an F car, like I don't know, not that long ago. <laughs> and I don't it. recall you saying, "Whoa, Ferrari, this is excessive." And now you're like, "AMG needs to tone it down." <laughs> okay, but I'm I'm trying to be. I'm trying to I'm trying to put the context here. I said for the street. Um, that's where it, it felt a little bit much, and. I, I stand by that. I mean, the 911 is able to get away with um, the way it looks, it feels, and, the, and its position in the sports car market, um, even without a lot of uh, horsepower. And I think that's really impressive. But and also it also has all-wheel can... drive. I mean, the all-wheel drive in the 911 is a big part of why it's so quick in a straight line. And it's also a that's... big part of why it's so much easier to control than a mm-hmm. car like the AMG GTR on a racetrack. And that's a cool thing about the AMG GT uh, R is that it is exhilarating. And every time, even though you you wouldn't be near the limit, every time you put your foot down, you start to realize that you can hit that limit pretty quickly whenever you want to. You can see just how fast this thing can go. Um, it is it's exhilarating. I'll be honest. It's it's very rare that a car just feels so fast and and intoxicating in terms of how quick it is. I'm I'm really impressed with how. Mercedes managed this with the GTR, but if, if if I'm trying to recommend a vehicle to somebody, I'm not sure the GTR is the right pick because it, it's just too much. Now, you say um, 
the, the car that you had, did it have a <laughs> dial on the dashboard where you could dial in how much stability control you wanted? Yeah, so this is part of its uh, – its, this is what the GT3 race car inspired this setting. It's a nine-setting AMG traction control system. Um, it only works when you turn the traction control off. So you then you turn then you turn this traction control system dial it in and out. It's, I wouldn't I I would never have touched this on the on the street. I didn't touch it on the street. I don't it's know very why. I si- well, I mean, did you that. did you turn the traction control off on the street? No, why? Um, to do sick burnouts, bro. I mean, yeah, <laughs> why exactly. else would you do it? I'm not admitting that on the I'm not admitting that publicly on the on the podcast. So the uh, it's but it's you similar. have used you have used this feature on the yeah show, right? yeah and it works I mean it's it's cool I I enjoy being able to select the le- level of intervention that mm-hmm. will occur when I get out of shape I'm gonna be honest you know I uh, my personal track car has 145 horsepower at the wheels and no driver's aids whatsoever but mm-hmm. when I go out in a car that's three times as powerful. And is rear wheel drive, and I'm on a track I've never driven before. Yeah, I'm gonna have that stuff on. I'm not. It, it, I don't. I'm not like macho to the point where I just turn everything off and go out in a place of glory. But I did appreciate that it allowed me to dial in how much I wanted, and and that helps it be more predictable for you when you're out there. Um, it's similar in a way to Chevrolet's performance traction management. It is. It's that's a great way. That's a good. Um... Uh, simula- simulation. Sim- what are, oh my god! I'm having a stroke, man, on the podcast in in person, in memory. Uh, that's a very of Sammy Hadjassad's compa- conscious thought. <laughs> a very I will comparison. complete this podcast solo. <laughs> uh, it's a very good comparison. Nine settings in this AMG system. I think the how many do, does um, Chevrolet offer? Six. Oh, there's a lot. It's it's but there's different. There's there's the wet oh, settings right. and then there's the sports settings and then there's the track settings. So I, I do I do find. I mean, the system from Chevrolet is good, but mm. I found the Mercedes system was easier to work with. It was just it didn't have as many layers. So in that sense, it's not as in depth as a Chevrolet system, but it is easier to just you know access, which is something I appreciate. I think that's a, a really cool way to describe the AMG GTR is that it can be accessible for those who are um, not like novice to to high performance uh, track driving, especially bigger tracks. Uh, it can be really accessible for those people with this much intervention, with these um, graduated sort of track con- traction control settings. Um, and it can also be pretty enthusiast uh, oriented because it's got a manually adjustable coilover suspension. You know, remember what we were talking about with like those pole stars with the yeah, the, like, the I, you know stuff? how I feel. You know how I feel about. It. But if this is an actual race car, it's not a wa- It's not a wagon. You know. <laughs> so um, I, I'm 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 a I'm obliged to I think give it a pass because yeah. I think people will actually use it. And then I I will admit that um, some people who buy the 911 and the uh, R8 are also, this is a weird thing to say, but kind of impressed with the practicality of those two vehicles. They have a frunk, uh, they have a uh, usable rear seat in the, in the 911. The R8 is also very comfortable. I mean, I, I've taken the spider version, of the, the convertible version of the vehicle on very long road trips, like five, hmm. six, seven hours. And it's, it's, you get out at the end and you don't feel like you've been beaten up by a car that's extremely quick. And the GTR doesn't feel um, as soft as those two cars, but it also doesn't feel like it's beating you up. I also have to add, I've said this before, but like drive mode settings, especially when they're related to um, uh, the suspension, 
when the comfort setting and the sports setting don't feel that different to you on the regular on the road, the, call the comfort setting something else. Like I don't know what else to say. It's so you're saying it has it has comfort setting for the suspension, but it's also manually adjustable. How does that work? Yeah, I don't know. The one I don't know. So are the one, coilovers height adjustable? Like what's the deal? I I actually haven't inspected that either. This so is you drove what? the car, but you're not sure. Okay, I understand. Yes, Ben. <laughs> Give it to me. Let me hear this. I don't know. I I I, I thought you would know. So um, I also want to add. You know, I've had a couple of performance cars, and something is consistent with them: parking sensors. I love parking sensors in a, a very expensive car. I don't want to curb the wheel. I don't want to touch a curb. Um, I think it's very important to have parking sensors in these kinds of vehicles, especially because uh, visibility in them is also not very uh, fair. Parking sensors in sports in supercars and sports cars never seem to be working properly. Does this has this occurred to you? They are constantly beeping when nothing is around. Has this no, happened to you? I, I, it, that hasn't happened to me. No, not in a supercar. I'm actually looking into your suspension question. Um, I mm-hmm. think the GTR Pro is the one that has the manual Adjust adjustment. The yeah, okay, my so, mistake. And the Pro is a limited edition vehicle. It, I think it's only limited to 150 um, units, and it costs two hundred thousand dollars. How much is, does the Pro Black R cost? So this new Black Series, nobody knows how much it's going to cost. And I should get into this because while the model I had has 570 horsepower, this upcoming Black Series makes 720 horsepower. Wow, that's pretty nuts. <laughs> that's nuts, right? And it'll cost, it has to cost substantially more than the $200,000 um, starting price of the GTR Pro. You know, that is more horsepower than the Hellcat. Yeah. So that means that Dodge is going to have to change its advertising. <laughs> yes. It will. Finally, right? Because it's a V8 as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and I mean, I've never been in a Black Series vehicle. Have you? No. I mean, I, I've been hit on the back of the head and dragged into a vehicle unconscious. Does that count? <laughs> yeah, that counts. What did you? How did you feel about the Black Series? I year? don't know. I woke up in a lightless room and sobbed until I was set free. So I guess that's a feeling. <laughs> I suppose that's how most Black Series might feel. Um, these are, I don't know if they're, what's the best way to describe the Sorry, Black Series? Sorry, I'm thinking series? of the Blackout Series. That's what I was talking oh, about. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know how to describe these Black Series, but they always seem a little bit more dramatic than what AMG has already accomplished, which is which is insane, right? Black like, Series kind of feels like the AMG engineers get told, don't worry about the warranty. <laughs> And then, and then they build, like, or, a hand-built motor, you know, that, that's that's just – there's, like, crazy tolerances inside, and they sell it at a huge price to someone who probably won't drive it and therefore won't make any claims. Right, right. Um, I think that they've always been somewhat uh, – actually, really alluring vehicles. I've never been in one, obviously, because they're they're very expensive. They're, they're low volume, um, and they seem very special. And I'm looking forward to, to hearing what people say about this GT Black Series, because if it's anything like the GTR, this will be um, one of the most exciting vehicles ever. You know, there are two cars on the market, two sports cars on the market, where I would break my no automatic transmissions rule. Mm-hmm. And the GTR is one of them. I, I think it is so much fun for all the reasons you mentioned, not just because it's it's an extremely complicated, excuse me, an extremely competent sports car but just the sound and the look and the attitude that goes with it and you don't see them very often they're uncommon i occasionally see them at the racetrack but on the streets they're they're you know you see five to ten porsches for every single gtr and to me that that means something if i'm spending that much money on a car right um what's the other car 
The other car is, of course, the Alfa Romeo 4C. Oh, right, of course. Okay. Which is kind uh, of a manual, but not really. <laughs> right. I really do, again, I have to admit, the the AMG GT lineup, the entire lineup is fantastic. I don't know if people really need to go to the furthest, the most expensive and exotic side of that to enjoy what Mercedes has made. I think that the regular GT and GTC are still um, just as exciting. They sound just as good. Um, it's the same engine, same design um, as as the GTR. So I think that's fair to to also appreciate the 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 more affordable options. So would you take this over a 911 Turbo? Yeah. You would. Wow, I'm impressed. Yeah. I'm impressed. Uh, even, the with the, Turbo, even with the comfort issues that you mentioned. Yes. Uh, the 911 Turbo, again, when you're getting a GTR and a 911 Turbo, you're looking for something that is more than just uh, speedy. It has to make a sort of statement. And I think that the AMG really, really delivers that statement. While on the other hand... Um, I feel like uh, in a in a 911 Turbo, people in the base Carrera will kind of give you the the nod, like we're in the same club, buddy. I <laughs> know uh, you're not, though. <laughs> yeah. You're not. <laughs> While I think everyone kind of looks at these AMG GTRs with awe. Yeah, I think I think that the club thing is is a really big point. I think that's. I hate that, that I hate saying that because no, it makes but... it feel like you know automotive enthusiasm is this like gate kept is like this world full of gatekeepers, but. It's not. <laughs> um, I think that, you know, it's not necessarily snobbery to make that kind of comment. If you're spending a huge amount of money on the car, you, you don't want to see yourself coming and going. You want to feel like you have something special and you want to feel like uh, you, ma- you made a decision that's different maybe from other people. And mm-hmm. in a 911, that's harder to do. You end up, I mean, if you have like a, a, a GT3 or something, you have a crazy wing on the car. I mean, that kind of thing stands out in the 911 world, but... There's so many models of the car that it's there's just it's it's kind of like shades of 911 versus um, a, a bright brilliant color. Well, do the GT3 and the is it is there still a GT2? Uh, do the GT models of the 911s come with that like um, the roll cage and the harness? Yes, yeah, some of them do. I, I can't. Remember. I would not be into that either. Like I think that's just too much. But for... that's specifically to be used on the track, and that's also right. like a naturally aspirated car. The one with the roll cage and the wing and everything. It's 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 designed to be track friendly, so you don't have turbos overheating and all that kind of stuff. Right. There's another car that I thought was intra- would be worth bringing up in a similar um, vein as that. Really, um, what's the uh, like? A car that really sounds great, looks great, and and gets attention, but may not be as exotic as the AMG GT. Maybe the Jaguar F-Type in their highest trim levels, the SVR, um, would, yeah. would be another car that sounds great, gets a lot of attention, um, and doesn't need to isn't as hardcore as an AMG GT. No, car. because that's that's a car that's also kind of been attenuated by all-wheel drive. You can't get the rear-wheel drive version of that car anymore. Oh, uh, right. Um, I don't know if they made. Did they make a Project Eight version or whatever they call it of that car that might have been rear-wheel drive? No, but I think there were earlier versions of the of the yeah uh, earlier versions F-type. yeah earlier versions for sure, yeah. but not the SVR. No. Yeah, I think that's true, but I I think you know that that's another that's kind of a dark horse alternative. I think I don't right. think people attach the same level as you said of exoticism to that car. That's interesting because like you see fewer uh, F types, I think, than AMG GTs. Mm, I don't know about that, but maybe yeah. I mean, it's it's so. definitely not common. I mean, no one buys Jaguars, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> Oops. Um. So I I mean. I wasn't expecting – okay, so let's be honest. When I saw the car, I was excited. I wasn't excited – I wasn't expected to be this 
uh, excited in this attached to the vehicle. And I do think that uh, Mercedes has a pretty attractive vehicle and a, an impressive vehicle all around with uh, the GT series. And uh, I'm, I'm intrigued to hear what they say about the Black Series coming up next. So uh, do you have anything else that you want to uh, add about the GTR? I wish I could have it for longer, man. Like, yeah, it's, it's a truly a fantastic car. It is one of the best cars of the last decade. No question in my mind. And you, uh, what, what's... A, you, what's sorry? One second. Do you know how, like, if you've been in a car, you know that when you're on the highway, it seems like you can never tell if somebody's trying to pass you or if they're just hanging out in your blind spot or something like that because you know that the people are just kind of... They just want to be around your car just yes. to be... Like, this is what happens with this vehicle. You are always surrounded by other people no matter how fast the car is. And then uh, you, you're like, I don't know what's going on around. I just need to pass this truck in front of me. And it makes you look. And they love that sound it makes when you, go, when you do that. So it's, a, it's such an interesting – that's democratic to me. Like you got you to gotta drop a gear for the kids, man. That's, that's how yeah. it is. Yeah, that's right. Okay. So let's talk about what you drove because I think um, this is pretty uh, – this is really worth talking about. This is a Mustang that you drove. Yeah, well, I don't know if it's really worth talking about in comparison to the GTR, which I think is of a fantastic car. <laughs> well, I mean, the Mustang is a, is a storied nameplate. It's a more accessible vehicle than an AMG GTR is. And I said it was a performance vehicle, and you're tr- suggesting that it isn't, when the model you had, as far as I, you told me, has a performance package. So yes, give me the so, whole detail on what you drove. So I drove the 2020 version of the Ford Mustang EcoBoost, but it's not just any EcoBoost. For this year, they've introduced something called the 2.3 liter high performance package and sammy this car is pretty hot for a, a four-cylinder mustang and there's an interesting reason for that they didn't just take the regular engine the regular EcoBoost engine that you can get in any mustang and kind of turn up the boost or reprogram the ecu they actually took the engine from the ford focus rs and put it in the mustang I thought that's what they should have done from the get-go. And it feels weird that they have they took their time doing that, right? Well, it you know, there's a lot of weird stuff that's gone on at the <laughs> entry level of the Mustang universe over the last right. five years. We lost the V6, which was a really good car. I mean, yep. there, was a, there was a point in time where you could buy a 4, a 6, or an 8. In, in the Mustang. Now you can and then probably a supercharged date eventually too. I don't know. I'm not sure when the when the GT 350 showed up or sure. 500. But uh, it, right now, only the Camaro offers that in in muscle mm-hmm. car world. So the 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 Challenger is six and eight only, and the Mustang is now four cylinder only. And I think they kind of wanted to create that middle tier again. So you end up with the regular EcoBoost, which I'm not a fan of. Mm-hmm. Uh, it power is. Only part of the equation when you're driving a performance car. And the regular EcoBoost has 310 horsepower, 350 pound-feet of torque. It's The the biggest complaint I had with that car mm-hmm. is that the higher you revved it, the less fun it was. It just yeah. did, it did not want to be above 5,000 RPM. It was not happy. And it would just crawl to the red line and make a terrible sound while it was doing it. And that really sucked a lot of the fun out of the Mustang equation. Now, the 2.3 liter high-performance package aims to change that because the... 2.3 from the Ford Focus RS has expanded the power band quite a bit. Ooh. So instead of like it being narrow as it was before, it now between 2,500 RPM and 5,300 RPM, you get 90% of the torque. So nice. there's, it's a lot broader. Um, they had to retune it. It's only 332 horsepower. It's not 350 like it was in the RS. I think because the Mustang is heavier, they wanted to make sure there was more down down low torque, down low power. So they had to sacrifice some of the higher RPM horsepower. 
Mm. Um, the car also, though, comes with a whole bunch of other stuff that's stolen from the GT. You get GT brakes. You get the GT look on the outside. You have the uh, the wheels are, I don't know if they're similar to the GT, but they're definitely larger than what you get on the standard EcoBoost. It has a bit of the GT's aero. And, of course, you can get the six-speed manual, which is what I had in my test car, or the 10-speed automatic. Okay. There's so much to talk about here. Um First of all, it's important to talk about the original EcoBoost because uh, I agree with which you. Is, it, which is still available. Just want to yeah, point that out. The normal EcoBoost, which is – I think that the power is is fine. I think as a performance car, it's just not uh, exciting. It sounds awful and just as you said, very peaky power band. It is um, totally unexciting. And I want to know if any of – like did these changes the, – were these changes for the better? Okay, so to address the sounds terrible thing that you just mentioned, yeah. the the performance package adds a multi-mode exhaust. Mm-hmm. So, and it's not just a fake exhaust inside the car that sounds makes you sound like a superstar through the speakers. It's actually changing the tone outside of the car too. It sounds a lot better. It's still not fantastic, <laughs> but it's a lot better. You really notice it at, at very high RPMs. It kind of <laughs> that's where it kind of falls uh, falls flat. Okay. But when you're just cruising around and stuff uh, or blipping the throttle, yeah, it's it's throaty and it's 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 much. The difference between sport, race, and and regular drive modes is apparent. Okay. Um, the uh, in terms of it being fun to drive, however, I was not impressed, Sammy. Oh I, no! I really, really wanted this car to to like flip a switch and make me an EcoBoost believer, but it still suffers from that lack of fun at the high end. I mean, once you're up to 5,500 RPM, the next thousand RPM just kind of crawl by, and you're there's no reason for you to be up there revving that high. It's not fun. It doesn't sound good. It's not giving you any extra oomph. But you, you you end up feeling like you need to short shift the car all the time in a performance setting, and it's it's a strange experience. You want to, I mean, in a performance car, you want a car that is that one rewards you for yes, for that's pushing the right, it. That's the right word, rewards. And is eager to to develop uh, that speed and that engagement as you go as you go faster or as you hit the the corners. You want that car to be like your best friend sitting beside you in the passenger seat, going "Punch it, punch it, yeah, let's go!" Like 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 constantly urging you on to have more fun. And in the Mustang, it feels more like work. There there are certain situations where the car doesn't feel that way. If you can find a twisty road, mm-hmm. and I didn't have this car on a track. If you can find a twisty road and keep it at about like 65, 70 miles an hour without yeah, having to you, rev super high, you, yeah. you do feel good power. Uh, it flows very well. My car also had the handling package, which gives it the mag- magnet. I can't say it. Magnetically Magnarize, controlled right? suspension. Yeah. And I believe it has a torsen or a, some other type of limited slip differential that comes Ooh. with that. Um, a mechanical, a mechanical limited slip diff. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it is a torsen. So it's that. that's cool. And you get uprated springs and sway bars and stuff uh, with that. If, oh, sorry, that 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 sorry that comes from the GT suspension. Mm-hmm. But um, anyway, it the, this car that I drove had the full package, like everything you would want in a sports car version of the Mustang, and it's priced to match that too. Uh, the price for the the engine alone, or I shouldn't say that because you do get all the suspension stuff. The, the price for the package is about five grand. 
And then right. if you want the automatic transmission, it's 1600 bucks. Nobody wants to know. Sorry. No. Maybe some people do. And then there's a handling package that I just mentioned is another two grand. So let's say you okay. want to spec this car how I had it. You're looking at seven grand over base. And I'm pretty sure you could add this package to any version of the uh, EcoBoost. So mm-hmm. you're looking at a minimum of 32 grand for this car. But when you, a, yeah. so you could spend as much as 37, which puts you at base Mustang GT. Okay. Um a a GT yeah a, a GT is about 35 as far as i understand and that is a great value it's a wicked engine it's good performance um and you can achieve a lot of the suspension um a lot sorry not a lot of the suspension but some additional handling um by changing the tires or or brakes yourself as well for a much lower cost too, right? Well, I don't know if it would be a much lower cost, and you can't put in that Magna ride. So, like, that, no, that, right. that kind of if that stuff's important to you, then you're gonna have to pay for it. Do you think but, an EcoBoost really needs that that Magna ride? Did it make a significant? Okay, so I yeah, it makes a sig- it makes a big difference. It is a lot stiffer when you're yeah. in a more aggressive setting. And on the I was on some rough roads and like just driving around in comfort mode. As you mentioned before, this comfort mode was actually a comfort mode. Oh, that's so great. I, I appreciated that. But <laughs> Oh, uh, I forgot about that actually. I remember t- talking about the GT performance package and that Magna Ride is, is magical. It's so good. So the thing that came across to me about this car is if you needed, if you just really wanted a turbo car, if you didn't want the V8 version of the Mustang, this is the best version of it that's out there. And it, the car does handle very well. Um, so you get the, the, it's the best, it's the best non-GT Mustang, I guess. But what is, is that, the value of that? I, I don't know. I mean, if, if you wanted to make crazy <laughs> power from this motor by tuning it, maybe that's who wants this car. Maybe if you want to go to the racetrack, you're on a budget and you don't want to spend the money on the GT you would need to get all of the options this car already has. Mm-hmm. That is also perhaps part of the appeal. Do you, it's crazy of me to say this, but do you bring in the Supra into this equation? This is the car that's meant to uh, ensure that the Supra doesn't um, doesn't run away with this kind of mid-tier performance vehicle. I feel like this is a larger car than the Supra. I haven't driven the Supra, but I think the attitude is quite different from this car, too. I'm okay. not sure if EcoBoost Mustang fans are also shopping the Supra. I think it's that's possible. I, I, I think it's I possible, but I think this is – this. you know, the EcoBoost engine – for a car you're just driving around town, it's fine. Yeah. For a car you want to have fun with, the chassis is a lot more fun than the motor in this in this car. And that's okay. unfortunate. So the power, the numbers are there, but the fun isn't. Let's talk about that for a second. Because when we've both driven the Focus RS, the RS is a, 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 a amazing car to drive. It well, both on the... Really? You're not a fan of the RS? The, I took that's the RS... A car that, to me, I, I, that sounds like the engine and the chassis were developed together, and it's better for it. And then I took it to a racetrack, and three laps in, the rear diff overheated and oh, shut yeah. down the all-wheel drive system. And you know what? That happens to a lot of people. <laughs> yes, I have heard And of it that. also happens to the Mustang. I, I've heard I, – I, I mean, don't quote me on this, but I've had people at the track tell me that they've had similar sensor issues happen with their Mustang differentials. I think it's an electronically controlled re- anti-rear uh, differential. Differential, anyway. yeah. Um, it's mm. so the the point I was trying to make is if they made an EcoBoost that wasn't um as closely or, or, or like it's it's tough to say because the two point three will will was first inter- introduced in the Focus RS uh, as far as I remember and came in some other more mainstream vehicles as well. I oh, the two point three. I mean, this, the, the, the you're saying the original Mustang EcoBoost engine? Yeah. 
I don't think it came in the RS first. No, I think it came in the Mustang. You think it came in the Mustang first? Yeah. Okay. Um, I was uh, I was under the impression that it came to the RS um, first, and I thought that it didn't feel like the Mustang and the engine, this EcoBoost engine, felt um, like it was a holistic pairing. You know, like when you drive a Mustang, the the five liter V8 feels perfect for it. It feels like it was built for the car every single time you drive a Mustang and with a V8. Uh, and I don't think you get that same impression that you do with the four cylinder. It just never, it just doesn't feel like the the right fit. No, it doesn't feel like the right fit. It doesn't feel special. Uh, it's it's strange because there are so many cool turbo four cylinders out there. You know, like it's not mm-hmm. like you can't make a good version of this from this platform. It's just for whatever reason, it's not harmonious with the Mustang. I mean, we can. There are so many good uh, four cylinders out there. I mean, we were talking about um, the Voster Ns has a, a fantastic four cylinder. There was the Mercedes uh, AMGs with that the forty five AMGs. Yeah, it's That's interesting crazy. that you bring up you bring up the Veloster, which is uh, it has less power yet is way more fun to drive. Yeah, uh, so I think you know there there are vehicles that pair the motor um, attitude to the chassis of the vehicle, and I just don't think that pairing is is dialed in as well as it could be in the Mustang. No, and it's unfortunate. I mean, this is a car that's that's very acceptable, mm-hmm. but if you're paying an extra five grand and maybe another seven grand if you're getting the handling package too, you need more than accept, acceptable. You need a car that's going to impress you, and this car doesn't impress. If if it just had the better engine, right? Like that's that you said the handling is great. Um, how's the transmission? I suppose the transmission the transmission's okay, right? It's, it's okay. I mean, like the whole drive line itself is just not exciting it doesn't it's not engaging so i I never i was never in the car and i was never like oh yeah i really want to drive this quickly you know yeah yeah um i want to take this moment then to talk about uh really briefly about the v6 because i actually really liked the v6 the v6 was great and they had a cool performance package for it too did you drive that version of the car um no what year this this generation or the previous generation i want to say previous generation okay no, because I have. Slow as they slowly asphyxiated the V6, they did it by taking away all the stuff that made it fun. Yeah, and part of that was that performance package, and then they were like, "Well, now you can just get it in one trim." And then they were like, "Well, now you can't get it at all. It's EcoBoost all the time." And that's unfair because that was an engine that really was good. It had attitude and really um, a really smooth. It built power really nicely. Uh, it sounded pretty good, it, and it sucks that it's gone. Right, like. It sucks that it's gone. I liked uh, it. I'm happy that Camaro kept theirs. Yeah. Um, I don't think the turbo two liter in the Camaro is that much fun either. Mm. But uh, they also don't make a super high performance version. They make a one LE that just focuses on suspension. Right. Interesting. Um, I I think it's it's really worthwhile to talk about this car. I'm glad that you did and that you were as thorough um, as you were with it. It's almost. It's got to be close to the end of the Mustang, the this generation's life cycle, right? Or, or it's time for a mid-cycle refresh. What would you do for a next gener- for a next generation or a mid-generation um, change to the Mustang? I really don't know, but I can tell you what we're gonna get. <laughs> what are we? Uh, hybrid. Yeah. So the answer is more weight. <laughs> the, yeah, apparently so. The answer is dilution. <laughs> oh. That's unfair. Okay. Well, I guess that's what we're going to get, and I can't wait to see um, how Ford manages that. Because um, in in the past month, it seems like they've delivered some pretty uh, intriguing vehicles with the Bronco and the new F-150. Sure. And if you I like think trucks, Ford's your company, right? Because that's all they I, build, except for the Mustang. 
And I think they're about to release some more information about their electric car, which is uh, branded as a Mustang. And I know that there's a lot of people who are against that. Um, and I'm, I'm excited to see how they're going to manage all of this going forward because their car line seems really disjointed, right? Well, if by disjointed, you mean the Mustang. Um, yeah. <laughs> right. And we've got this EcoBoost model that doesn't excite. We've got a, a Mustang that is a four-door hatchback electric vehicle. Um, so, I mean, it seems it seems out of whack with whatever Ford can do. I, I would agree with that assessment. Um, ben, can you provide our listeners with an update, uh, a personal update? A personal of your, update? Of your Jeep? Oh, okay. That's yeah. <laughs> that's you that's, were ready to do it anyways. Whatever I was, like, I guess I'm so. always ready when it's podcast time. So yeah, uh, I actually drove my Jeep today for the Ooh. first time. Well, so I I dropped that Jeep off in November to do an LS swap on it. For those of you who maybe aren't familiar with the saga that is my Jeep, um, I have an '87 Grand Wagoneer, which is the full size Jeep with the wood on the sides. And it, it's gifted, it was gifted from the factory with a terrible motor, a 5.9 liter, 140 horsepower boat anchor of a V8. And I read up on all the possible options for fixing that situation, and an LS swap seemed like the most affordable and simple way to do it. That proved to be wrong for so many reasons. Eight months later, um, it's finally driving. We had a lot of things that went wrong on the project that were outside of our control, the pandemic really made it hard for us to get parts made. We had to get some custom parts made, and that was impossible. We also had the guy who sold me the donor vehicle motor for it, 5.3 liter um, LS or LY5, actually. It, it, it turned out to be hydrolocked, and it had to be... Um, we had to rehone it, and we had to put in oversized pistons, all this stuff. And then when we finally got it running, we had some really weird issues with it stalling. We had some issues with some codes we couldn't clear from the computer. Turned out the car had no fuel in it during some of the testing, which we had no way of knowing because the fuel gauge, the new fuel sender we installed was bad. All this to say, I picked it up this afternoon. I drove it. It is night and day in terms of how it performs, Sammy. You described me using a swear word. And I won't repeat it on the podcast just because I like to keep things uh, somewhat clean. But I'm glad to hear that you were uh, – you seem pretty happy with the initial – the impression. The initial impression was positive. And yeah, I mean – I mean, happy with it. it's – I'm looking forward to getting better than nine miles per gallon, which is what I was getting from the previous engine. So uh, I, I should be just under 400 horsepower with this engine. So that's a huge increase over stock. Plus, it'll triple the fuel mileage. Plus, it'll start every time I turn the key. I mean, it's mm -hmm. fuel injected. The motor came from a 2008 Tahoe. Uh, it has got a mild cam in it. I've also got hydro boost hydro locked brakes, hydro boost brakes in it. Okay. Um, and I upgraded the gearing and the differentials to 373 from 331. So it's going to be in the right power band on the highway. Uh, four speed automatic instead of a three speed. Anyway, it's it's just cool. I, I've intended this vehicle to be my daily driver i right. wanted something reliable i wanted something i could tow with it's it's fun to drive it's it looks good it's got a lot of room inside it's very practical mm -hmm. and um it i was supposed to be driving this two months ago if not three 
So it's it's really a relief. It's it's a big weight off my shoulders. We're in this stage now where there's going to be a lot of little bugs we're going to track down. Okay. But to be able to drive it and do that, it just feels amazing. And I was really down about the project because there were some issues we had with it that we didn't know how to get past. And I want to shout out to uh, AGM Performance, which is the um, shop that worked hardest uh, on this project for me. Uh, they've They've had it there. They're so happy that it's no longer in the shop. <laughs> like this, this Jeep, they're a Porsche racing shop and they've had this Jeep there because the, the owner of the shop had one in the past. So he's familiar with the platform. He also does most of the work on my Datsun and uh, he does a lot of vintage stuff. So he was, you know, a very good choice for the project, but he's just, it's been sitting in his garage in within eyesight of his office for like eight months. And that's a terrible yeah. feeling. <laughs> Ta- like taunting him. What's funny um, is there's a Lamborghini Countach that's been sitting there even longer. Yeah. And when I picked up the car today, he said he threatened to tie the Countach to the bumper of my Jeep <laughs> so they could both leave his sight forever. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I also want to add, it sounds like a far more, like it, it sounds like a modern car now with the appeal, the, the exterior and interior appeal of a, a more uh not classic, but an older, iconic look, I guess. And, and it has the safety of a 60s-era design, which is what <laughs> yeah, you that's want. Not <laughs> the A-pillars on this Jeep are so thin that yeah. I'm sure a harsh wind would crush the roof. <laughs> I, let's not hope for that, especially if the car just got finished, okay? Yeah. Um, so thank you for uh, everyone for listening. I would like to plug a couple of things before we we say goodbye for the for the episode first of all if you liked this episode i encourage you to subscribe to the podcast it's very easy to do so through your favorite podcast client um the other another way to do it is to go to our website that's unnamedautomotivepodcast.com while you're there you can click on some buttons to subscribe to your to the podcast and you can also see all of our previous episodes additionally the website has a contact form that you can fill out and when you do so uh, I, we, we first of all, we really encourage you. We love answering your questions. We love bringing them up on air, um, or if you want to talk about it privately, that's fine too. Um, so there's a contact form you can fill out there, and you can also reach out to Ben and I uh, on social media. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Sammy underscore Ha, like you're laughing. And Ben, actually, you're on Twitter these days too. You're at Hunting Benjamin. Don't tell people that, man. I am on Instagram. <laughs> that is where you want to be. I'm only on Twitter out of contractual obligation. <laughs> and he's also on Instagram at Hunting Benjamin. Instagram is the place. That is where people are friendly and happy and just share positive images. That's true. Uh, ben, what are you driving next week? Next week, I am driving the Lincoln Aviator, Sammy, which is interesting because it's uh, it's a kind of a retake on the Explorer ST that I had a few weeks ago. And I'll be driving the uh, Nissan Kicks and the Hyundai Venue. I'm going completely opposite from this AMG. You're GTA. all about the kicks, though. I'm kind of happy that, that you're but, getting your kicks fixed. It's been too long. Uh, yes. there's, one, there's one more thing I want to mention. Um, my Kickstarter campaign for my comic book is still running. We're in the last week. So if you want to read a book about a world where dragons, drugs, and raves exist in the underground tunnels below the streets of Montreal, you can go to www.code-45.com. You can pick up issues one through three right now. And any of your, I know a bunch of you have already supported us, and that feels great. Thank you so much. And anyone else who just wants to check out the book, you can download it digitally too if you don't want to, you know, commit to a print version. But it's www.code-45.com. Excellent. So I'll talk to you next week, Ben. All right. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye.